Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse, Golf Monthly's weekly look at the various different events around the world in golf. Today we hear from new world number one John Rahm, who won his 11th pro title at the Memorial Tournament. We'll also discuss all of the fallout from Murfield Village and preview the European Tour's UK swing. Guys, it's Brooks Kepka. Uh, I just wanted to welcome you guys to the Golf Monthly Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse, brought to you by our friends at Titleist, the number one ball in golf. For more, visit titleist.co.uk. Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse. My name's Tom Clark and this week I'm again joined by Elliot Heath. Hi, Elliot. Hello, Tom. And Nick Bonfield. Hi, Nick. Hello, Plaza. You well? Oh, yes, I'm all good. I'm all good. Um, firstly, we need to chat about our epic golf battle on Friday at Sunningdale Heath, uh, which wasn't so epic because I played pretty poorly. How did you play, Elliot? Uh, I'm really not playing very well at the moment. I'm getting a bit fed <laughs> up with golf. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. Elliot was in my team and he was looked, looked quite distraught over the last few holes, especially after he lost his ball on 16. Looked like he was about to burst into tears. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that was a really tricky course, to be fair, wasn't it? It's a, it's a brilliant facility they got there. Some really lovely holes, lots of short ones. And they were saying that Laura Davies has been playing there every single week since lockdown because she absolutely loves it. And Monty's been playing there as well. So, yeah, it's a it's a great place for the, the good golfer to hone in their iron play and stuff. But, yeah, when you're not playing well, there's lots of heather. Quite small greens, lots of long par threes. Yeah, it was a bit of a nightmare for me. But Having said that, the person who won got 43 points, Kevin Murray. Yeah, I couldn't believe that. Yeah, he smashed it up. And, and Mike, our editor Mike as well, he got 42 points. So um, it was some decent scoring out there. But you're right, it was, I found it particularly tricky. If you got on the wrong side of the hole, you were absolutely uh, you're in a lot of trouble. And it was very, very dry there, wasn't it? You just see that they haven't had much rain over there. So it's really fast and fiery. And you had a, a few um, tough lies to pitch from, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, a few also... too many long par threes to my liking as well, I have to say. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't like standing on a tee of a hole and have 220 yards to the green. It's not really my bag. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, I got to witness Nigel's uh, first tee shot. Oh, yeah. Was... Amazing. I'd forgotten uh, about this. Yeah, go, uh, please, please do uh, elaborate. Well, I had a couple of pints beforehand, and <laughs> so I was feeling a little bit sleepy. And instead of get, going all the way through my swing, I kind of leant back a little bit, hit the turf a long way behind the ball. My ball probably went, what, 20 yards, dribbled onto the road that, that bisects the fairway, and then started rolling all the way down to Sunningdale <laughs> <laughs> and rolled out of bounds off the first tee. So I think I made about seven on the 190-yard first hole. <laughs> so, yeah, your second shot was from the Domino's Pizza on Sunningdale High Street. Yeah, I mean, the road sloped downhill to the main road in Sunningdale. So, yeah, I probably ran across the main road there and hopefully didn't hit a car. <laughs> uh, I wish I'd, I'd, I'd probably missed it because I was going to group ahead of me, but that was uh, that sounded like great fun. Now, I thought it was actually a really good, fun course. It was it was tricky, yeah, if you weren't hitting it that nicely. But I thought they... <laughs> I've really enjoyed their little clubhouse that they've got, which is mm. the old ladies' course, isn't it? Sunday ladies' course, is that right? And um, it's an old-style uh, clubhouse. It reminds me, actually, of an old 
old cricket pavilion. I know I always talk about cricket, but um, but they've done it up really, really nicely. A nice little bar and very, very nice gammon roll, and then a mm. afterwards. It was delicious, wasn't it? So uh, very nice. They looked after us very, very well. And um, yeah, if anyone's in the area, do check it out because it's fantastic. So um, yeah, we'll we'll move on for that. Have we got any other? Did you play any other golf, Elliot? Oh yeah, I played again at the weekend. <laughs> Just rubbish, absolutely <laughs> rubbish. I need lessons so badly. It's uh, <laughs> what? What's the problem? Uh, I just honestly, apart from my my putting and chipping is quite good at the moment, but everything else is just awful. He hit one bad shot on Friday, Tom, and then turned to me and said, "God, I've, I've got the ball striking of a ten handicapper," and it went off in a half. <laughs> <laughs> Elliot, doesn't yeah. Because yeah, I was we were playing with Neil Tappan of five, who just consistently gives me grief about how rubbish I am at golf, and he hit, he hits the ball miles, doesn't he? Oh, his his long I tell you what, his long iron and hybrid ball striking is absolutely ridiculous. He's so accurate, even from about two hundred and thirty yards out. I mean, there were consecutive holes where he hit it to within ten feet, probably on 230, 240 yard par threes. It was really impressive to witness. And what's his handicap? Five. Higher than Elliot's. Yeah, exactly. So, what, he's playing a six, you're playing a five. Isn't that right, Elliot? He's five, I'm four. But, yeah, oh, it just gets in my head, Tim, his constantly belittling my ball striking. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's wearing down your mental game, obviously. But... Well, I'd say he's got the ball striking of a, of a scratch golfer. Yeah, but, well, I'm no, I, sh- I shouldn't pass Corin. He does, he passed it, he hits it absolutely ridiculous, but... Um, he could probably work on his short game, couldn't he? Um, <laughs> which I'm sure he'll enjoy me saying uh, with my short game. Uh, let, let's move on and actually let's talk about someone who's definitely got a good short game and a long game and everything else. And that is John Rahm, who is the new world number one. He won the Memorial Tournament on the PJ Tour by three strokes yesterday to become the 24th men's world number one. And we're going to hear from him straight away. He had an interview with golf master Jeremy Old. Uh, in the not-so-distant past, and uh, I think it's great if we just hear from him straight away. How big a part does confidence play in good golf? How big a part confidence? Yeah. I think it's key. I don't think you'll ever hear any player who's not confident in himself or, yeah, have a, having that confidence to succeed, really. Uh, anything in life, uh, you need, you know, as a competitor, you need that confidence and believe in yourself. And confidence, how easy is it to lose it or find it when it's gone one way or the other? I always have confidence. I don't yeah. think I've ever been on the not having confidence on mine. So you've never lost it? No, I've never lost confidence. No, I've always... I, don't, I mean, if we're talking confidence and belief being the same thing, uh, yeah, no, I don't think I've ever been... You know, sometimes you're maybe not hitting the ball well, but I'm always confident I'm going to hit the best stroke possible. Do you think of yourself as a field player or a technical player? <laughs> you need to ask me that question. Yeah, I'm the farthest thing from technical that possibly is. I'm completely feel. Okay. Yeah, it's an. In all uh, aspects of the game? Yes. Yeah. I hate being technical. I okay. really don't like it. Uh, haven't changed anything on my swing in a very long time for a reason. It's truly. Uh, especially the closer I get to the green, the more feel it becomes. And uh, which. Um, which of the Spanish players most inspired you? I mean, so when I started playing golf, uh, the the big name was, was Sergio. So I grew up watching Sergio. Uh, but then the more I got into the game, the more I learned about Seve. 
so the more inspired me not not only how he played golf and and what he could do but how he could basically you know how he brought people together yeah. right how he had crowds and people wanting to play golf and how golf changed in Europe yeah uh, and in Spain thanks to him it's it's a main thing right they told me they were telling me I think when when Sevi started playing golf there was a couple hundred courses in Spain when he stopped you know like 15,000 something like that whatever yeah. the number is and yeah. then when he started playing golf there was like 50,000 uh, golf licenses mm -hmm. in Spain when he finished it was 350,000 so that's kind of what would drove me more right that passion that he had as well to take the game of golf to the next level and uh, and and basically how he could you know bring people together to watch him play and bring yeah. people to play golf and did you did you try to emulate any of the Spanish players in any parts of your game uh, no because uh, I will need their physical their physical appearance well not the appearance but the, their, their yeah. body to be able to do it I'll never be able to do what Sevi did yeah. in any possible way never be able to do what Ollie's been able to do and never be able to do what Sergio does. I just don't move the same way. So uh, I try to copy a little bit, try to be as charismatic as Sevi. I would love to. I mean, it's hard, yeah. it's hard to, but like it's, I try to be in that sense, you know, like that, try to have that, that, that aura he had around him with that passion where, you know, uh, try to do a lot of things that, yeah. that he did more than just the game. Uh, I learned from what they did a lot. I watched a lot of videos, but <laughs> It's hard to copy those guys, I and mean, we're talking about some of the best short game players in history. So, but you're, if you're a field player, does that mean you play with no swing thoughts? There's nothing going on. Barely. I honestly, I like to have maybe one swing thought like this. Especially if I'm swinging well. No, yeah. if I'm not fully like swinging well, I can have one that's going to allow me just one thing to remember. Right. Like yeah. sometimes it's like to stick the club outside, just do this, do that. It's one thing to remember that allows me to forget about the rest. And uh, and honestly, that only usually happens with the longer irons, shorter irons. I, I You're on autopilot. No thought. I mean, it's just aim and hit. That's about it. Right. Uh, did golf come easy to you as a as a kid? No. 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 I mean. Uh, Surprisingly for a lot of people now, I was a terrible ball striker All right. up until I got to college. What came easy to me was short game, which is what I practiced the most. Uh, but I was a horrible ball striker and that took work. Uh, it took me to go to college and meeting some people in the U.S. Uh, that taught me, to make me understand my swing and how to hit it better. And once I understood that, I became one of the best long players on tour, which even in college as well, which it's a, it's a big 360 in the game, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I was not a good ball striker whatsoever. Wow, and uh, how hard did you work on your game as a youngster, and how hard now? Is it more or less now? I don't think, so as a young player, I think a lot of people now are too focused on working on the game and having a good swing, and oh, you need to do this and that and that, that they forget to be competitors, right? right. Uh, at a young age, I learned how to compete. The way I practice was chipping games, putting games, whatever games. I bet you can do this, but you can't do that. It's as simple as that. Uh, uh, that's that was my way to get golf balls, and that's my way. What we did when we were kids, uh, everything was a competition. I never, ever, until my 11th grade, when I went to a golf academy in Spain, I would ever just sit down and hit balls just for practice. It was hardly ever did that. So you ended up with buckets of Pro V ones in your bedroom, did you? No, those times that I lost. There was some some intense games, but then he got to a point where I got good enough on a national level and I got Pro Vs. But uh, I'm talking when I was young. Like yes, yeah. I was 10, 
10, 11, uh, that that was my way to get them. Now you talk about competitive spirit and you, uh, mm -hmm. it'd be fair to say you wear your heart on your sleeve, so <laughs> is that always a good thing or does that sometimes, does it always work for you or does it sometimes work against you? I don't think it's a good or bad thing, it's just who I am. Right. It's, it's as simple as that. Some people are very opposite from that. Uh, it's as simple as saying that that's why I am on everything I do. Okay. Trust me when I say I behave the same way when I'm competing, playing cards at home. Right. Or on the golf course. It's simply just the way I am. It's not. Uh, it, it has been moments where it, not related to it. Not my, like where my maybe my emotions have gotten the best of me, but it's not. Uh, again, I'm, I'm, you're gonna have a reaction out of me, whether it's good, good shot or a bad shot. It's just. Uh, there has been times where maybe situations escalated quickly and and uh, you know I've been a little more frustrated than I should have been. It's it, not a bad thing. Uh, for so many years having that com competitiveness or that passion has helped me after making a bogey to yeah. make birdies afterwards. It's one of the reasons why I have the best, one of the best bounce back stats on tour is simply because of that. So it, it inspires you almost? To, it helps. Yeah. I've, there's been times that I've tried and I'm say okay I'm gonna play 18 holes smiling being happy without getting mad and I can't play golf. I right. simply, there's not a chance to sit on the par. And I've tried it before, and it's bad. Because so it's, it's simply going against who I am. So it's a bit, like, a bit like McEnroe, maybe? No, no, not even close. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not yelling at the real referee. Well, no, I, I, <laughs> no, but this passion, I mean, Tiger was passionate. He's the same way. Yeah. You, you see Matt Seve was up there. Yeah. Nobody's saying. It's just nowadays with social media, everybody captures everything that you see. But like, it's as simple as... As that, I mean, uh, no, I'm not McEnroe. That's, no. that's that's a little far from 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 where I'm at. Okay, what do you, uh, you know, to get to the next stage? You've obviously succeeded. You've done a lot. What do you think you need to do to now move on to major victories? The next phase of what you have in mind to achieve. Same exact thing. Yeah. I'm not going to change. It's got me to this point. Simple as that. Uh, seen a lot of people that have tried to change things once they've gone on tour or even after winning majors because they had to change they thought they had to change them and their careers have gone down from there so I haven't changed my golf game in a long time I don't think I have to have to change I just simply need to be getting better with what I know I can do and what I'm good at uh, and slowly get better uh, I know my time will come That's okay more of the same then yeah I have I don't believe I need to change obviously I mean uh, it's a pressure of growing as a player and, and learning uh, our major championships, but I don't think when it comes to the golf game, anything needs to change. Okay, thank you very much, John. Thank, thank you. you. So there you go. That was the new world number one, John Rahm. Um, anything that really sprung out for you there, Elliot? Uh, yeah, it was great to hear from Rahm. Obviously a, a phenomenal talent and a wonderful competitor. I think that's what sets him above most of the PGA Tour players and most of the European Tour players out there is just he knows how to get the job done. He, he might not have the best-looking golf swing. Uh, he might not hit this, the most amount of practice balls on the driving range. But, yeah, I think when it comes to winning, he knows exactly how to get over the line, which, um, you know, separates him from a lot of players out there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Nick, he, he hasn't been on the scene very long, really, has he? Um, if you think about it, he's still very, very new to, to a lot of, lot of people. And actually, I think in... The world where people actually aren't focused too much on the world of golf. I think a few people still won't actually really know who he is. Well, he's only been on tour for what three and a half seasons. Yeah, and eleven wins in three and a half seasons. For context, that's so eleven combined PGA and European Tour wins in three and a half seasons. That is more 
combined wins than Louis Taze and Matt Kutcher, Ricky Fowler, and the same as Patrick Reed, just for a bit of context there. And obviously, those guys have been out on tour for a much longer period of time than he has. Um, I was just doing a little bit of tossing up earlier. Mm-hmm. By my calculations, he's played, since the start of 2017, he's played 85 events and he's registered 46 top 10s, which to me is just staggering. Yeah, it, he has got incredible uh, stats already for his career. And here's, here's a few more for his career so far. So his first golfer to win two Ben Hogan Awards for being the best US college golfer. Spent 60 weeks as amateur world number one. Beat his hero Tiger Woods in the singles during his Ryder Cup debut in 2018. Won the 2019 race to Dubai. Has now won 11 times as a pro in four years. He's only the second Spanish world number one after Seve Ballesteros. He was the fifth youngest after Woods, Spieth, McElroy and Thomas. And he becomes the third fastest of number one since turning pro after Woods and Spieth. So incredible, you know, stats when you when you actually think about that um, and how much he's actually going to go on and what else is he going to go and do in his career? Well, you think he's a fantastic driver of the golf ball, both in terms of length and accuracy and an excellent putter. I mean, he's consistently in the top 10 and top 20 of those metrics and that's just absolutely perfect combination for, for modern golf. What I would say, though, is he's only got four top 10s from... 14 major events which is kind of less than his regulator ratio so that obviously is going to be an area he's going to look to improve upon over the coming weeks and months and years yeah i think that's absolutely right isn't it you know he, he needs to now get a major under his, under his belt that's obviously he's now number number one target um once he's done that then we can start really really talking about how he stands as being one of the greatest european golfers especially where do you think he's got his best chance of winning a major this year PGA probably. I mean, his record's not too good in the US Open. I think he played very well there as an amateur, then missed a couple of cuts. And I think people have said in the past that his temperament's not ideally suited to a US Open because he can be quite hot-headed on the course. That's why I think winning on a golf course like Muirfield Village in those conditions with really fast greens and high winds will stand him in very good stead going forward for the majors. But I'd say probably the PGA. The, the Open Championship as well. I mean, let's not forget he's won, what, two Irish Opens? And obviously he's a very good ball striker, so that lends itself well to uh, Open Championship conditions too. But it wouldn't shock you to see him win any of the majors, would it? I mean, Augusta as well, hits it long and straight off the tee. You know, he's coming in with mid to short irons into most of those par fours and par fives, so you'd expect him to go close there in the past, uh, sorry, in the future, as he has done in the past already. Yeah, absolutely. Ellie, where do you think he's going to have most successes at uh, in the major championships? Uh, I, I always hate this question. I, I really don't know. I think, <laughs> yeah, um, whatever whatever week he turns up, he can win. He's. I think if you look at basically the world rankings, you could probably pick a weakness out for, for most golfers. And he's definitely a player that doesn't have a, a standout weakness, at least. Like you look at Rory, it's his putting. You look at DJ, it's his putting. You look at plenty of players they've always got something that just kind of lets them down in the big events or just you know throughout a whole season and I, th- I think um nick actually has already touched on one one of these potential weaknesses which i know he doesn't think is a weakness he thinks he actually helps him uh, compete better is when he maybe gets a little bit fired up i know that does mean that he's you know the adrenaline's running and you know he always is feeling the heat of the tournament which actually he thinks makes himself makes him play better. We have seen in the past, though, that he has also had problems about keeping the lid on his uh, his emotions. If you remember what happened at Sawgrass, where he went for that ridiculous hybrid over the water and dunked it in, in the drink, uh, which really cost him the tournament. 
I think maybe he might put sometimes too much pressure on himself when it comes to the major tournaments. Yeah, you could definitely say that. But uh, I think it's hard to be critical of him when he's only been a pro for four years. Obviously, he got it wrong that day at Sawgrass. You should have listened to his caddy. But I, I'd like the anger. I think it probably does help him, like you said there. Uh, I'm <laughs> I'm turning into quite an angry player at the moment. It's really not helping me. But uh, obviously, <laughs> you know, getting that fire and the adrenaline can help. Um, yeah, what I would say though is it's hard. It's it's quite hard to be both angry and patient at the same time. And whilst I understand that the anger fuels him, patience is kind of the most important thing in a major championship. And I think sometimes he falls down early in majors, drops a couple of early shots, then really tries to get. He gets annoyed about it, then really tries to push and recoup the shots really quickly. Whereas actually, he just needs to kind of level off, make a few pars, and then go from there. And I think sometimes he's a little bit rash in his decision making in the big tournaments. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, hopefully that's something, as you say, he's so young still. This is all a learning curve for a lot of people. You know, we've seen people fail before they actually go on to win on, on lots of occasions. If you look at what happened to Roy with his meltdown at Augusta uh, and then what he did at the US Open just a few months later. It's, it's been shown time and time again, hasn't it, that actually people sometimes just need to learn stuff. Um, and he did have to get over a few things on the back nine yesterday uh, he actually shot five over on the back nine to still win by three with Ryan Palmer in second. The main issue was that he was penalised for two strokes for moving his ball in the rough before chipping in on the 16th. Um, did did you guys see that? You did see it. I thought it was a really interesting one because kind of the whole clump of grass moves and his ball is almost nested within that. So I think under the rules he has to replace it, but it's a really difficult one to replace because it, the ball didn't really move. It just kind of moved with the grass, if you, if you see what I'm saying. So he says he didn't see it, and I, and I do take him at his word there. Um, and obviously just accepted the penalty, and thank God, much like Dustin Johnson a couple of years back in the US Open, it wasn't costly for him, but it would have been very interesting had he kind of gone on to lose by one shot after hitting that chip in, which obviously evoked memories of, of Tiger Woods a few years previously. Yeah, it, it didn't really look like the ball moved. It looked like the grass moved that the ball was on. So uh, yeah, it's just one of those silly rules in golf. He could have replaced it like what a thirtieth of a turn to the right and it would have made absolutely no difference. So yeah, I'm glad that it didn't cost him anything and it's not the biggest story from the week. Yeah, and I, when you see things like that when they have the super close ups on the golf ball and they move, you know, as you say, he didn't actually touch the ball, did he? It was it was the grass around it which was kind of moved. You wonder how many times that does actually happen. Mm. Yeah. When the players don't know that it's moved maybe a tiny amount. And it was only actually because they had the camera right there, um, especially now that you can get really close in because there's no crowds getting in the way either, so they can get quite close. Um, I think he was, you know, I think the ruling was correct, but I think he was a little bit unfortunate because it was so clearly shown on the TV. Of course, he then obviously chipped in, an amazing chip in as well. So, um, yeah, I think, I don't think there was any uh, foul play going on with John Rahm, and I'm not sure how he actually would have, um, helped him by moving it a 30th of a, of a ball, as you mentioned earlier, anyway. But, um, yeah, as you say, that is the rules of golf, isn't it? Yeah, it's, just, it's a quirk of the sport we love, I'm afraid. Obviously, the rules in place to make sure that people aren't gaining an advantage clearly wasn't seeking to make, it, to, to make an advantage there, was he? Because the ball marginally moved and, yeah. you know, barely even detectable to the naked eye. So, 
just one of those things I feel like we say quite a lot it's just a rule of golf and you just have to accept it as it is and thing is if you take that rule away then you might start getting people trying to nudge the ball forward and put it into a better lie so I think everyone who plays the game understands why these rules are in place and understands that sometimes you're going to have incidences like this but as we've said fortunately it didn't cost them the tournament. No that, that's true and there were some other good stories uh, from the weekend as well Matthew Fitzpatrick finished third whilst Matt Wallace and Jason Day were um, were fourth Fitzpatrick is now inside the world's top 20 for the first time. He's been playing very, very solid golf, hasn't he? Um, just needs to probably get a win under his belt. He hasn't had a win for a while, I don't think. So Didn't he have five second places last year? So yeah, something something like that. It's really, you know, but he you know, he has won before and he's won multiple times, hasn't he? So um, he's just being a very, very solid performer at the moment. I think it's the style of his game was very, very suited to Muirfield Village there. And I definitely see him as a dark horse contender for the US Open in a couple of months' time because he hits virtually every fairway with his driver. And while he's not the longest, he's put on a little bit of length recently and he's a fantastic putter. So if you're playing for the middle of the fairway and you putt well at US Open, you've always got a chance. Uh, there was also, of course, the first showing of a Tiger on the PJ Tour this week. Uh, Tiger was made the cut on the, the number and finished tied 40 from his first PJ Tour start in five months. How do we think his, uh, his performance was? It was uh, it was good, I would say, but but not great like I, I'd hoped it would be. He, he looks a little bit rusty, which is absolutely no surprise after five months off. And uh, yeah, the back didn't look too bad. I mean, I think he said he, he was struggling physically on Friday which is when he went from one under to, to four over. But yeah, a brilliant first round to shoot one under in really difficult conditions. He played really well on Sunday as well in the final round. I think he only shot like three over or something going out in one of the first groups. So yeah, all good. WGC next week. I don't know if he's going to play in that, but I think he should personally. And then the PGA the week after. So yeah, good for him to get some reps in, I would say. That's it, isn't it? He's got four rounds under his belt. Um, there were some promising signs there. But I think if you'd have asked me at the start of the week where I thought Tiger would finish, I would have said somewhere between 30th and 50th probably because you expect him to make the, the cut at Muirfield Village given all his experience there. But he just wasn't match fit. And with so many of the other guys having played three or four tournaments beforehand, I always expected him to finish kind of middle of the pack. Yeah, he made quite a few silly errors, I thought. Uh, and also, interestingly, in his uh, post-game interview, he said that he's been putting at home on his Bermuda greens and that the, they just don't break as much. And then he turns up at Muirfield Village on different kind of greens and all the putts are breaking like 10 to 15 foot. So uh, obviously that was yeah, a very big transition for him. Yeah, absolutely. But it, as I say, it's great to see Tiger back playing and um, whether he'll play in that WGC as well, I think I hope he does. He's not playing this week at the 3M Open, is he? So... Um... I think he could probably do with another another run out maybe at the WGC, but we'll wait and see. I don't, I don't expect to see that though. I mean, it's probably the weakest of the WGCs, isn't it? It's the kind of glorified regular PGA Tour event that became a WGC. I don't think Woods is going to have much interest in playing that. I think his focus is going to be on making sure his body's in as good a shape as it can be for the PGA. That's just a theory though, pure conjecture. And he may well announce tomorrow that he's playing in that tournament, but I don't expect to see that happening. Yeah. Is anyone yeah. worried about Rory after... I don't think he managed a top five in his last kind of four or five starts. Lost the I, world number one spot now. Clearly yeah. something's a little bit wrong there. For a player well, I, don't think, I think we need to take everything with a pinch of salt. And again, you know, I don't. I think we should be celebrating John Rahm 
winning rather than thinking, oh, Rory's lost the world number one. I mean, if you actually looked at what Ram did before and after lockdown, uh, Ram was playing superb before lockdown. Then actually, the first few weeks back, he hasn't actually done anything really spectacular, has he? But then he's had the, the win this week. And Rory before lockdown, again, was very similar. You know, he's playing very, very well. And then afterwards, he hasn't quite been on it. So I don't think there's anything to look at too closely. We knew that they were very closely... Uh, match in the world rankings anyway weren't they i think he probably struggles to g himself up for these events without crowds regular events without crowds but come major time i don't think there's going to be any motivational issues no so i don't see it as overly concerning right now yeah ab- absolutely and uh, but before we uh, move on to what's happening this week i think it's only right that we hear again from the new world number one and um, this time john ram is chatting about his uh, fascinating equipment insight I'm probably like the worst person to ask this because I have no idea how my clubs are set up. Uh, I'm going to have to look at it. It's, uh, I know it's a 10 and a half degree head. Uh, usually, in what I've done in the past to facilitate my fade, we put weight on the toe of the driver. Uh, this Aldila shaft I've had since I basically got to college, so seven years I haven't chased it. Uh, but yeah, usually it's set up to facilitate me to hit a fade. Not many draws going on with the driver. Three with my baby. It used to be the worst club in my bag up until Adrian helped me out with a three wood. It does say 15 degrees, but it's a high launch. So it's a little bit, it's set up for higher. So it's got more like 17, spins more uh, just to have a little bit more control. And it's also set up on a little bit, uh, not upright, but it's set up in a way where it's really easy to turn for me. So it's it's my draw club. So the, the only problem I had is, uh, you know, I never got really fitted for three was that well. and. Uh, when I turned pro, they asked me and I'm like, well, 15 degrees. And I had this new ones that the way I hit it, I was de-lofting and, and basically hitting three woods really, really far without any control. I couldn't hit it high enough and I just didn't like it. And that's when I explained to them, I'm like, I should be able to do this. I want this. And I was with Adrian at the Masters and he gave me last year, it was an M1 with more degrees uh, and same thing. And this year we did the same thing. We got this one. It's actually set up neutral, but with more degrees, more spin, easier to control. And I've used it more. Uh, yeah. It's actually helped me be more accurate this year. It's helped me on courses like the players. Uh, there were some holes throughout the year where I just could not play because of it. And not one of them was number two at the players, where I just simply, I needed to hit a draw. 13 at Agasta, you need to hit a draw. And uh, I did it on, you know, five holes in mind. And uh, man, it's, it's been, yeah. I've played good in some courses like Valderrama and yeah. the players, simply because this club works a little bit better. I used to actually, even in college, I played blades. Uh, my last few years of high school, I played blades. And again, I wasn't the best iron player. And I just figured, might as well take the forgiveness out of it. And, and those 750s, when they made them, it, they're very close to, seven, uh, to 730s. They're so close to what like actual muscle backs look like. You just have a little bit more forgiveness, that's it. If you put them down and look at them, I went to the truck yesterday to see, there's not that much of a difference. Uh, some people just have the preference. Uh, I've gotten used to those uh, yeah. and I just like the forgiveness part of it. Maybe the reason why I'm such a good ball striker is because I have those clubs. You know, some people say it, with the shorter irons, they might have, they might like the, the muscle backs a little better, but I just, when I change to them, it's, it's worked ever since then. Yeah. Uh, it didn't take much to, to get adjusted to it. It's, uh, I'm more consistent with them, if anything, it makes, if that makes sense. So that's uh, kind of works out altogether. Listen, I had, I got a fit in. This is funny, people won't believe it. I got fitted when I was, I was in high school, maybe 10th grade. 
and they say these shafts are good for you, haven't changed since. I know people can, probably can't believe it. I've had these shafts for 10 years. Actually, yeah, 10, 10 years exactly. I, I honestly haven't, there was a period when I tried some other, but like, it works, honestly, I can't. And, and for the better part of my life, when I was growing up, I didn't have the chance to really get fitted. Like in Spain, the way it got fitted, basically they gave me clubs. They had different ones built in with different shafts and I hit them like, okay, I like this one. And they made me a set and that's how it was. I never got a full fitting until college, like okay. until my, my, until I won a tournament in college, basically. So uh, up until then, I had no idea. I played whatever they gave me. Uh, they said, oh, this shaft should be good for you. And I'm like, okay, and I played it. I remember the driver I used for a very long time, the first R11, he was basically what you say of the rack. We went to the store, bought it, play it. It's uh, exactly how I played most of my life up until college. So I didn't really care with shaft and everything. I felt like I could adapt to anything. And yes. once I started using this, uh, they work, honestly. And I haven't changed my driver in three with shaft since freshman year of college, so that's seven years now. So for those people who think you need to like tinker all the time, you don't really need to. If you like something, don't change. It's as simple as that. If something works, if something's good, there's no need to change. Uh, now, I might, if something really good comes along where I try it and I like it and it makes me even better, maybe, but uh, so far I haven't tried, I haven't seen that. So I got, uh, besides the pitching wedge, I have the high toes, the 60, 56, and 52. I hardly ever hit full shots with this. So most of what I do will be three quarter shots and feeling shots, which, uh, but the gap would be a full shot with the 56 goes uh, about 102 usually for what I've done in TrackMan, depending on where I am in the world. 102 the the 60 it's usually between 85 and 90 depending where i'm in the world and the 52 is about between 115 and 120 depending where i am in the world but you hardly ever see me hit 56 or 60 full shot i'll never do i know my swing already looks three quarter but you never do see me do a full swing unless it's a certain special circumstance the only one i'll hit full is sometimes the 52 if I don't think I can spin it enough with the pitching wedge, that's uh, that's about it. But besides that, never never full ones. It's thirty. It's just over thirty-seven inches. It's it's funny enough. I had a two balls putter for so long when I was an amateur. Uh, it was thirty-five inches since I was about fourteen years old, and I had that length up until my I think junior or senior year of college. And I realized they showed me a video of me putting and uh, actually in Pasatiempo in a college event. And I looked too hunched over. I actually went through a period where I couldn't putt for more than 30 minutes because my back would start hurting. And uh, it dawned on me, I'm like, what if I just got a longer putter? You know, I've been having this length since I was, I'm 6'3 now, I was maybe 6'1, 6'2 at that time. So like, let's just get a little longer. And uh, I just ordered a longer putter. I remember first time, uh, First time I played with it a full round, I think I shot about eight under, made every single putt. And I said, well, that's, that's definitely working, so I'm gonna stick with that. And the main reason was because my back was hurting, I saw Wutu hunched over and I went on it and, you know, better posture, looked better, and, uh, and I've been putted better since. Yeah. It's, uh, honestly, there was no other thought to that. It doesn't look 37 in my hands just because it looks normal, but yeah, it is a little longer. So there you go, John Rahm, world number one, talking about his equipment setup. Obviously, he's not a very technical, Golf, he doesn't really want to change much, does he, Elliot? Anything in particular that you were surprised about that you mentioned? Uh, yeah, it's, it's good to hear him there with a little laugh saying to the guys that perhaps tinkering with your equipment isn't the, the best thing to do. Obviously, he's not a very technical player. And, uh, yeah, I just love how he trusts 
trust the shafts he uses. And I think he's been using them for seven years, he was saying there, which is incredible. You'd think all the, uh, the shaft companies and gear guys would love to get them to use their specific uh, model, but clearly he's not having any of it because he loves those Aldila green ones. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to now look ahead to this week with the European Tour, and it's the British Masters. The European Tour returns to home soil this week with the start of the six-event UK swing, the British Masters at Close House, with the Forest of Arden, Hanbury Manor, Celtic Manor, and the Belfry also hosting in the future. I'll be looking forward to this. Yeah, uh, it's great to have the European Tour back on home soil. So we've had kind of like a soft start with these Challenge Tour events and uh, been great that the Tour's been able to give its members opportunities through that. But this is what we've been talking about now for basically two or three months. I remember writing the story and we were speculating before as well. So, yeah, it's taken the Tour a, a while to get back up and running, whereas the PGA Tour have been going for best part of six, seven weeks now. So really looking forward to it. It's, it's a little bit of a shame that the fields aren't as strong as they probably should be, but that, you know, there's there's very valid reasons for that when you look at the prize pools and you look at what's coming up in America. But yeah, it's just going to be good to see even more golf on Sky Sports now. Obviously, we've only had the American stuff, so it should be good to, to have, you know, two tournaments to watch again. Yeah, absolutely. We can now watch golf from about 8 o'clock in the morning through to about 11 o'clock at night, which I know you'll be delighted about, Elliot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the venues as well. Like the, the Belfry hasn't been on our screens since, what, 2008 now? Uh, good to see Celtic Manor back as well. And then I don't know anything about Hanbury Manor, to be honest with you, or, uh, or Forest of Arden. I haven't played there either. With these, I mean, I've talked to... Jim columnist Wayne Riley about these courses and I think these are some of the places he used to play back in back in the 80s and 90s so I think for a lot of people it will bring back a lot of memories of the glory years but no certainly very intrigued to see how it all plays out and can't wait for the Belfry to come back and and Close House is obviously an established European tour venue having hosted this tournament in 2017 can't wait to see Lee Westwood swinging again the likes of Eddie Pepper or two um just going to be a brilliant well, not atmosphere, but it's going to be brilliant for the players and for the tour to finally resume some sort of some semblance of normality again. Um, I can't wait. Yeah, I think that I think you're absolutely right. Where it's really great that this is happening on the on British soil. Um, it's an opportunity for these venues to you know put themselves in the the shop window for people to you know if they want to come and visit in the future when they can, then uh, you know absolutely go and go and see these places. Some of them are, are spectacular venues, and the golf course is all, all decent, of course. But um, it's really a big chance for all the all the European Tour players. You know, some of the, the well-established legends of the game are going to be teeing up, but also there's a lot of youngsters out there who are just starting off in their careers, and these are some great opportunities to to get a win under their belts or a very good performance under their belts moving into the the rest of the season. So, um, as you say, it's great to the European Tour. We've got some proper European Tour golf back, and it's in Britain. Yeah, we've also got 10 US Open spots up for grabs as well, I think to the top top 10 on the order of merit after the first five events. So, yeah, uh, some really good opportunities there as well. Yeah, absolutely. So that, just for people that uh, are completely aware of what's going on, Lee Westwood hosts the British Masters at Close House for the second time after both he and Close House hosted in 2017. The last three winners of the British Masters have been Marcus Schinolt, Eddie Pepperell and Paul Dunn who all are playing. Uh, the purse is 1.25 million euros. And to put that into perspective, as Elliot mentioned earlier, off uh, off tape, 
the winner of the PGA Tour event gets more than the entire purse of this event. So that kind of puts into perspective. But it's still a decent amount of money, isn't it? Yeah, of course. I don't know how it's broken up, but I'm sure the winner's going to get two or three hundred grand. I mean, yeah. that's life-changing money, isn't it, still, at the end of the day? Yeah, especially for these guys. So um, who do we fancy this week? Is there anyone that's really, you think, oh, well, they're going to do well? Yeah, I, it was quite tricky, I found, um, you know, looking at who I think is going to do well. But I settled eventually on Pablo Larathabal. Um, I think he probably won many more European Tour events than, than most of the players in the field. Um, he was 26th in this event last time it was at Close House. Tied for 7th in Qatar the week before everything ground to a halt. And also won in South Africa towards the end of last year as well for his first victory in a little while. So I think he's in good form, was playing well before lockdown, and I would imagine he'll hit the ground running this week too. It's going to be particularly hard to pick a winner this week because... Some of these guys just haven't been playing pro events, so we don't really know what kind of form they are in. And we can kind of look back at what was happening before lockdown, but that's a long time ago now, isn't it? Um, Elliot, anyone that you think could do well? Uh, no, I, I was just going to say that, Tom. I think you've got a very, very difficult job this week as the golf monthly tipster. I've been making it look hard work, I'll be honest with you, with uh, my tips this year. So, um it, it, it is a bit tricky, I think. I do have some positive news for you, though. Go on. Via Skybet, 8-8 Sport and Unibet, you can get Scotty Hemd at 250 to 1. Well, that's that's all we need to know. I mean, the, the European Tour legend that is Scott, Scott Hemd, uh, it's good to have him back, isn't it? Uh, He's locked uh, and loaded in your tips, is he, Clazer? Well, well, he probably is now that you've mentioned that. Because yeah, he's a he's a proven tour winner. Let's face it; he's actually been a very successful golfer. So you've you've already mentioned uh, you know to, picking a person on on the reason is that they could have actually won before and actually have some past experience of getting over the line. Scotty Hend is absolutely one of those people. So um, we'll have a look at him. Yeah, is that um, your, your pick then, Elliot? Have you got anybody else that you wanted to chat about? Um, Paul Dunn, I think you can get about ninety to one as well when he won here three years ago on the exact same course. I don't think he's won since, so you could probably make a case that he's due another win because he is a class golfer. Yeah, that, that's all I'll say. Uh, I can't see any sign of Torbjorn Olison in the field, which is a bit of a surprise after what we were saying a couple of weeks ago when the European Tour uh, announced his suspension was no longer active. Yep, and obviously I think, well, we'll have to look at that closely and see what, maybe he will try and play some of the other events, maybe not the first one, perhaps. Um, yeah, maybe, the, maybe the European Tour had a quiet word this year and said, look, we don't need any any more distractions. It's going to be a challenging enough week as it is, so if you could kindly miss out the first one and come back in the second one. I mean, this is based on absolutely nothing again, but that would be a, th- <laughs> that would be a theory of mine. I, I, yeah, I'm not sure that... I mean, if the European Tour didn't want to play, then they wouldn't have to have reinstated his, his playing status. I, so I, I'm not sure that's got anything to do with it. But um, we'll just have to look at, at what's happening. The field will change from week to week. We're, we're sure about that. Um, the pick I'm, I'm going to just mention today is uh, Guido Migliosi, Italian, who, again, hasn't played since week 10 at the Qatar Masters. We did actually miss the cup. But he has had a, uh, a tied fourth at the Oman Open uh, this year. And also, he, of course, did win um, on several occasions in 2019 as well. So, um, I think he's very, very good young young player um, and someone who, who, who's uh, probably worth having a look at. I think he's about 50 to 1 you can get him as well. But for all the betting tips, do check out the Golf Monthly website. Uh, and don't forget that this week, the British Masters starts on Wednesday, doesn't it? So, um, you know, make sure you don't miss out on that, that early uh, early start. 
Moving on, there is also, of course, a PJ Tour event this week as well, the 3M Open. Matthew Wolfe defends the the, uh, the event being played at TPC Twin Cities, just outside Minneapolis. Wolf Eagle, the 72nd hole to beat the Shambo and Morikawa by one last year. Kupka and DJ headline this week, along with Tommy Fleetwood, who made his first start since March. So, still a few big names in this event. Not maybe as many big names as we've seen before. I think a lot of people have taken this opportunity to have a rest this week ahead of the WGC and the PJ Championship over the next couple of weeks. Who do we think is going to do well? Well, I thought I would scroll quite a long way down the field for this one, given that I don't really want to pick DJ off the back of a miscut and Kepka in a regular tour event because he doesn't like those very much. So I'm going to go with Sam Burns as an each-way pick. Now, Sam Burns is a guy that I've quite liked for kind of a year or so. I've actually bet on him a couple of times. and He's come close to each-way places, and I think he's a very promising young player. Tied seventh last year. Uh, and he's had three top 30 since restart, including a, a type of 17th last time out at the workday. So whilst there's kind of a, an absence of really, really top players, I think it makes sense. And it's quite prudent to look a long way down the field and maybe try and go for an each way pick. So that's what I've done this week with Sunburns. Cool. Elliot, anyone that you fancy? Nice. Uh, yeah, we're going to go for Eric Van Royen this week from uh, from his time at the University of Minnesota. He, he knows the area very well, will feel very comfortable there. And he's an absolute class player. He was uh, maybe third in Mexico, I think. And yeah, I think he won the Nordia Masters last year. But a guy with his talent should should probably deserve a win on the PGA Tour as well quite soon. And he was he showed some good form at Hilton Head, didn't he, a couple of weeks back? Yeah. That would be cool. So the guy I'm going to go with is Paul Casey, who I think you can get about 25 to 1. He's only played a couple of times since lockdown and I think he's now going to try and play a little run of events so I think that the Englishman especially on the back of a couple of Englishmen doing quite well last week I think he'll have a bit of a bit of a point to prove this week he hasn't been spoken about a lot so I reckon he's someone to look out for but uh, again for all the better tips for the 3M Open do check out the Golf Monthly website golf-monthly.co.uk and also our social media channels at Golf Monthly on Instagram and Twitter and also Golf Monthly Magazine on Facebook Finally this week, we're just going to have a quick mention about congratulating Gabriella Cowley on winning the Rose Ladies Series event at the JCB Golf and Country Club last week, finishing at two under par to take the victory. There is again another event this week at Bearwoods Lakes, and we continue to enjoy these little uh, nuggets of, of women's golf, don't we? Yeah, certainly do. And Bearwood Lakes this week is one of my very favourite courses in England. I have a real affinity for that place. Not that I've ever played it particularly well, I just find it a really lovely setting for golf and I'm sure the ladies will enjoy that event and I look forward to watching the highlights. Yeah, but Bearwood Lakes is an absolute cracking course, isn't it? And again, it's great that the uh, Rose Ladies series has been able to put some of these these courses, which we wouldn't usually mention, you know, into into the, the headlines. And um, it's it's all these clubs need as much help as possible at, at this time. And of course, the Ladies series have been fantastic for the for the female golfers getting out there and ha- having some pro events to play in so good luck to all the people who are um, teeing up this week in that event as well so uh, thanks for listening everybody uh next week we will be seeing who uh triumphed at 3m open and who uh won the first uk series event and also previewing all the other events happening which was there's now loads happening over the next few weeks and months so do stay tuned thanks elliot and nick for your time today thank you thank very you. much I will say, Elliot, I think you need to probably uh, 
just let's try and turn the negativity into positivity next week. I reckon you're going to have a good round of golf this week and that will cheer you up. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I've got a competition this week. So, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. You'll probably win it and you'll be everything will be uh, nice and shiny and uh, happy. Having played, having played with him on Friday, I don't think he's going to win it. Don't listen to him. Joking, joking. You're a world-class chipper and putter, idiot, so focus on that. <laughs> Indeed. Anyway, thanks for your time this week. As ever, do follow Golf Monty on social, subscribe to the podcast, and of course, leave us a review. And until next week, we will speak to you then. <laughs> <laughs>